Welcome all, and thank you for tuning in to the Battle Brave Brave Dancing Podcast, where we talk soccer in the DMV. This is Jose Omaña, sports writer for Sports Pulse, and joining me as always is our co-host, Mario Maya from the Tiempo Latino. Mario, how are you doing? Man, I'm doing A-OK. I did my civic duty today, which is early voting, and you know it's important for you to go vote. So please, this November, go out there and vote. I support that as well. Before we talk about our memories of RFK, because why not? <laughs> we have to talk about, and the majority of this podcast is going to be DC United centric because they're actually winning games. DC United is on a three game winning streak mm-hmm. after edging the Columbus crew one nothing this Wednesday, that the day we are on, uh, for those who weren't able to catch the match. One nothing. Julian Gressel with the goal with a little help of a small deflection. And DC United's defense was able to hang on. Mario, you were at the match. I watched it from home. Uh, what was your, t- or just your just your basic take on the match and being there and your overall feelings of United winning their third straight? So I feel like this was a game of like three different parts. Uh, let's go with the first half. It was both teams were actually going at each other, attacking, creating chances. Uh, the second part would be, would have to be that this, that the second half was a little more chippy. Both teams were, were going hard on tackles, trying to win the ball and trying to get a result out of this. And I guess the third part would be the, uh, referee just blowing his whistle every five seconds during this game. Especially in the second half, it, it was just a it was a weird, interesting mix of everything. But overall, I think DC United was able to hold their own. They they not only gained the lead, but they didn't relinquish it at all. I think they had a really good defensive showing, especially from uh Pot, from Donovan Pines and Frederick Briant. O'Neill Fisher was able to hold his own, as well as Joseph Moore for certain parts. And also, I was impressed with the midfield, how well they played and how, how well they were able to connect passes, especially in the first half. And the never-say-die attitude of one Edison Flores, I think, are the one are the main takeaways from this game. Yeah, I'll just talk about the significance of it. Obviously, it's the third straight victory, fourth unbeaten. Um, they're now tied in for the last playoff spot with Chicago and Inter-Miami. And they're two points behind Montreal for the for the ninth spot. So, you know, Chad Ashton mentioned it. You know, they're going to claw their way for that final spot. And Julian Grasso kind of mentioned it. You know, he said, quote, I feel like everyone's forgotten about us. And, yeah, people did forget about D.C. United, especially because, you know, you go eight games without, without a win <laughs> all of September. You let go of your coach. Like, yeah, people are going to forget about you. The fact that this team has been so resilient and showing that they can come and compete, you know, originally, like you and I have talked about in previous podcasts, it was just about showing, you know, you're worth staying for whatever project comes next season. Now it's you have a shot to go to the playoffs and make something of this season. You know, they're going to be around for the money. Uh, coming this weekend, and we'll talk about the Atlanta game, which really showed United's growth offensively. But I think in this game, it was the tale of two different games. You had the Atlanta game, which we'll talk about 
where offense was the key factor. In this case, it was a team effort to play good defensively, even though, like you said, in the first half, United was very positive attack. This game, though, they were very heavy defensively, and you have to appreciate what Canals was doing to maintaining that high line, but also making sure that even though Columbus was very heavy in terms of their possession, that United didn't, A, lose possession as much, and B, they didn't let that pressure take over. And that was a good thing. Like you said, Pines being able to track back and stop any possible runs onto the field. If I remember correctly, I think Columbus only had one shot on target. So that tells you what kind of game United was playing defensively overall. So props to Bill, props to the back line for holding off that pressure in that possession game, making key takeaways when they messed up because they messed up a lot. They were able to clear out, make clearances, make quick passes to restart counters. They played real well defensively. And, you know, this wasn't one of those clean victories, but it was a good victory. Right. It wasn't a pretty victory, but they got the job done. And also, I got to say that Defensive, uh, defensively, they were frustrating Columbus. They Whatever opportunities Columbus came up with in the second half, they weren't really getting clean looks on goal, and it showed by only having one shot on target. And they brought in Lucas Celarayan and Darlington Nagby in the second half, and weirdly enough, they also brought in one Emmanuel Boateng. Remember him? Uh, they they were trying, but they, they just couldn't figure out DC defensively and it showed it showed how frustrated Columbus was going up up top and then it also showed that in the midfield battles they weren't really going in winning those midfield battle those battles in the midfield and one other guy that I could truly say did a lot of dirty work today was Yamil Assad he was able to track back defend when needed to and go up and create opportunities himself. So all in all, this was probably one of the better defensive performances DC United had. It's not the prettiest. It's not the prettiest way to win a game. It was really, really grinding it out, but they got the job done at the end. And here we are. We're talking about playoff, about a playoff shot, a shot at the playoffs, something that we weren't talking about a month ago. Exactly. And, you know, speaking of players that rebounded just like the team has, credit to Julian Gressel for not just getting the goal, but just playing overall better. I don't know if it's Chad putting him in the right position or, you know, he feels a little freer. But since the coaching change, Julian's been receiving more passes. He's been on the ball more. He's been, you know, more in tune with the rest of the midfield, tracking back less frequently and being more of an offensive threat, which is something that he showed in Atlanta. Yes, he's good defensively, but he's more of an offensive threat. And it showed today when he got into that, got the pass. First, it was a cup. It was a six-pass combination with, you know, starting with Flores in the midfield and then ending with Flores, giving a nice pass to Emil Saad, and then the cross, the low-bearing cross to Gressel. Gressel taking his time, one touch, and then hitting the shot, 
slight deflection, but I mean, if you watch from the overhead angle, he was going to score. The deflection was just aiding the help. It was just elevating the shot. Like the ball was going in the net. The keeper was already going one way. The keeper was going right when the ball was going left. And so he had, he played well. And I'm glad to see him performing to this level. I think this is what everybody wanted to see out of Russell. And it's going to be interesting with Paul back next season. Do you put Julian in the middle or do you keep him out wide left? Even though you have Edison who could play on the right, and then maybe, you know, Paul in the middle, it's going to be interesting for next season. And we shouldn't even be thinking that with, you know, we got two games left. But it's it's just interesting to think about what this team could look like next season when you have Paul and Julian played really well. If he continues to play this way, you know, next season is going to be very interesting. Right, and I think. I think just the whole structure of the midfield itself is going to be interesting because then you also answer asked to have to ask the question: Where do you put Yamil Assad in the in in this formation or in the in the lineup? Because he's also been coming into his own. But I think Julian Gressel deserves a lot. Is one of those guys that deserves a lot of credit. He uh, he had like you said he he's benefited from the coaching change, and it shows. And I think now he feels a lot more comfortable. He's able to also track back. Again, he 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 he's not he's not afraid to do the dirty work, but he's also able to create offensive opportunities. And I think in the first half, mainly they were able to create those a plenty, and it and it reflects in the scoreline at the end of the day. So th- this should be interesting. Also helps that your playoff chances have also greatly improved. Meaning that all the other teams that you were that you needed to get a negative result got a negative result today as well. Yeah, Atlanta lost. <laughs> um, everybody lost. Chicago, who was up at half, lost. Like everybody who needed to win to nuke United chances lost, and so it does help them out. And it'll be. I'm just fascinated now. This game against New England's interesting. New England is already in. They can't get to the top four. Do you then start resting players because you have on the final game of the season next Sunday, the, 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 not the upcoming Sunday, but the next Sunday, two weeks from now? And Or do you really focus on trying to get a higher spot for seeding to play at home? Like It's going to be interesting in what New England wants to do. And New England's been on a bit of Achilles heel for United. So for those interested, DC and I will play the England Revolution this Sunday. So it, it I'm curious as to how Bruce Arena prepares his Ben. Yes, Bruce normally goes for victories, but it'll be interesting to see. New England's kinda had United's number this entire year. Yeah, they kinda have it. It goes it stems from the MLS's back tournament. I Really interested to see what Bruce Arena does. I I'm one I'm of the mind that Bruce Arena is going to go for broke here. This is a man that doesn't really like to leave anything to chance. If you've ever watched him coach before, th- that's not his mo. He's always getting it to win it, and that's why he's the most successful Amer- uh, uh, su- successful head coach in U.S. soccer history. But. It should be interesting to see what he does. I, I think whatever lineup he puts out there, he will 
give DC United a run for their money. Probably even a headache or two. They have they they've demonstrated they can kill you in many ways. Uh, in particular, using Gustavo Bo, who's one of the team's leading goal scorers, using Christian Penilla, two guys that absolutely demand attention on the in the attack and will absolutely torture defenses if given the chance. So it it, it should be interesting. Uh, I know DC United is going to go for broke here again against New England. So it should be interesting how New England stacks uh, stacks the cards against United on Sunday. Yeah, and just to give an idea, because you kind of mentioned that Bruce has this tendency of going all the way. And then we'll get on the Atlanta game, which was before this one. Um, that was on Saturday. Just to give people some credit, like some reminders, you know, that last year, the Beckham experiment. Galaxy had already won the Supporter Shield about three weeks before the end of the season, and they ended up winning out. <laughs> you know, just they're, 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 because Bruce didn't care. Bruce is like, we got to keep on winning. And so Bruce is that kind of coach, you know. DC United had already won the MLS, you know, had lost in the 98 MLS Cup. You would think, oh, they got at least to the, to the championship game. Just enjoy your offseason. Bruce said, "F that. We got the we got the Intercontinental Champions Cup, or whatever. Got to play Vasco da Gama. Inter American Cup. Inter America Cup. We got to play Vasco da Gama. Like, stop crying. We got to go play <laughs> again. And so Bruce is that coach. He's just like, you know, whatever happened in the U.S. national team prior to this. You know, he's he's the kind of coach that if he's regardless of what it is, he's ready to play and win." So it's just going to be good going, seeing what's going to happen on Sunday. And I'm interested to see how Chad's going to coach uh, New England differently than how Ben did. Ben was more defensive, more oriented. Um, and Chad has shown he can go attack minded or he can go, for, you know, heavy on the defense, but still keep the attack flowing like he did today. So it'll be interesting to see what United does on Sunday. Exactly. I think you'll find some kind of a balance. That's for sure. I think that Chad Ashton's demonstrated that it's whatever game plan you have. He, he will, he will make the proper adjustments. So it's a wait and see process to be honest with you for Sunday. Before this match against Columbus, DC United had done something that they hadn't done all season. And that is win two consecutive matches as they defeated Atlanta United two to one on Saturday Gelman Rivas scored his first goal with the club, and it was ultimately the game winner in the 92nd minute. Russell Knauss, who returned to the starting lineup after serving a one-game suspension, also scored the club's first goal of the game in the 77th. The game was quickly tied up by John Gallagher. Uh, Mario, what were your thoughts on United's play overall against Atlanta? What were some of the positives and negatives that you saw? First off, to quote Alejandro Moreno, Vamos Venezuela was the thing I yelled when Gelman Rivas scored the game-winning goal. All right. Uh, for what I, for what it's worth, DC United played pretty well. Uh, they were able to take it to Atlanta at certain instances of the game. They pretty much were able to do to out muscle like Atlanta's DPs. In particular, Junior Moreno was able to outplay Ezequiel Barco for a good portion of the game. Just pretty much not giving him any spaces to work with. And you could tell 
Atlanta was visibly frustrated at times that they weren't able to get shots on goal and the shots that they were able to get on goal, Bill Hamid was there to stop, to make some good saves in particular towards the end of the first half when a shot from Marcelino Moreno pretty much just zoomed past everybody and it could have gone in the back of the net, but Bill Hamid stopped it. I know that sounds like a terrible analogy there, but it's kind of the truth. But I think for the most part, BC United played a really good game I think they played a really good game defensively, and it showed for the mo- for the most part. Yeah, Bill had a good game. Uh, still wish he would have did a little better in the Gallagher goal, but Bill had a good game, five saves. If you were to look, again, this is like similar to the Cincinnati game. If you look at the stats, it doesn't tell the whole story because Atlanta got more possession after DC United's equal uh, first goal in the 77th. They really were getting out muscled, as you said, but and out shot, but they had to start trying to get possession, try to go after United. But, you know, something similar to you said, it was good to see them bounce back and go from that deficit to then go for the victory. Um, I really, it was really good to see Gelman Rivas get that goal finally off his back. And Claudia Pagan, who's the sideline reporter, had mentioned this the day after the, the match before his debut. She had mentioned that the one person that Gelman was building a relationship with was Kevin Paredes. And Gelman said in the postgame press conference that the guy that I am more... You know, he didn't outright say it, but the guy that I've formed a relationship with is Kevin. And he said, you know, he's a great player and he gets it. He knows it for his, he knows his style of play because of his movement. He gets it. He understands it. He knows where a forward's going to be at the right moment at the right time. And so when Kevin made that move, cuts inside right before the ball goes out of bounds to cross it inside, he already knew Gelman was going to be right there. The quickest pass right before the ball goes out of bounds, directly back in the center of the box to find Gilman Rivas. And Rivas, we've been saying it from the moment he got there, has been just pounding it and pounding it. And at some point, he was going to score. And for him to get that goal, and in that emphatic fashion, by the way, to just rocket it into the corner, it just, it just. Not just breath, it was a breath of a relief for United and its fans, but I just felt that it was. Just it just felt like finally he finally got a goal in, and maybe this was the goal he needed to then push forward and maybe start helping more in the attack and maybe even outscoring the rest of the team. Right now we have defenders that are outscoring our strikers at the current pace. It would be good to see at the end of the year a striker be the number one scorer on this team. Oh, absolutely, because, uh, again, that's been something that D.C. United's been lacking in that department, has been goal scoring from their actual strikers. So it's nice to see Gelman Rivas get off uh, get off the scoring mark finally. And, yeah, it shows. It shows in that play how well he's been working with Kevin Paredes. And I think one of the things that I've taken back from D.C. United, and they've done pretty well under Chad Ashton in these, in these couple of games, is that ability to bounce back from adversity in the in particular during the during games it showed against Chicago a little even though that ended in a defeat but 
Uh, the games in particular against Philadelphia, where they went down in the when they went down at the start of the second half, they were able to bounce back and, t- and take a quick lead, but ultimately they gave up the lead and a two-two draw. Same thing with Cincinnati. Cincinnati scores, and then DC United was able to bounce back and find a way uh, find a way to win the game. Same thing here. They were able to bounce back after John Gallagher scored close to the 90th minute in the 89th minute, to be exact. And they were able to pull some. They were able to put to put something together and get the game winning goal, the late the late game winning goal. So it's something about the mentality under Chad Ashton that has changed, and it it, it shows, and it and it shows in the team. They're a lot more mentally stronger now than they were, say, about a month ago. Yeah, and we kind of debated about playing this, but I feel like when you mention that mentality, it goes to something. Russell Canals mentioned during the press, or here's what he said. Yeah, I think we were able to put some good performances the last couple weeks that gave us confidence from game to game to build. Um, I think our focus on just, you know, making sure we think about game to game and not where we're at in the table and, you know, where we want to go. I think the focus has been great. We've been able to just have more overall belief in the locker room and, you know, trying to see out this season the best way we can and finish it the best way possible. And tonight uh, we took another step. We uh, survived. We we got the three points and now we look to Wednesday's game to continue that. And that was Russell Canals, which I have to give credit for the start of the season. And Mario would know this during preseason workouts before they headed to Florida, Russell was very honest about his preference of playing in the defensive midfield, the role, just staying in the midfield. He did not want to be playing wing back as Ben had put him in the years prior. And he really didn't have an answer, but you could just tell by the facial reactions, he didn't want to play center back either. So the fact that, you know, reports are, and Chad confirmed that uh, Frederick Briant was sick non-COVID related, wasn't able to go. And Russell, you know, stuck it out, was being professional. And he played center back really, really well. And I hope that just like the way last season ended with him getting interested in Germany, I hope he gets the same kind of interest again in the DC United is listening to more offers. I think that Russell has expressed the interest of going abroad. And, hey, he's been more than professional this season in terms of how he's played. Yeah, there have been moments because of injury and the way this season's been really wacky. But I think he has been one of those guys that when he's out there, he does prove to be a factor in the way that the team plays as well as how we are as a defensive shape. Right. I think he he bit, he was a key contributor to, to DC United's win on Saturday, not just for scoring the, for scoring the first goal of the game, he, him, and Donovan Pines were able to build this partnership in the back line that helped that helped them stop anything that Atlanta had come had um, had planned attack wise. They were able to stop a lot of a lot of those attacks forward, and also uh, one of the other things I got to commend uh, commend the defense on. They were able to stop Brooks Lennon, a guy that gave them headaches in the first meeting at Audi Field. Three weeks ago, he was a non-factor throughout all of this, and so that's credit not only just to both Pines and Canals, but it's also credit to to the defense as a whole, as the way they they stood they stood for most of the match and were able to frustrate Atlanta. 
Most definitely. But before we close today's podcast, we did want to reminisce a little bit. The, uh, this past Sunday, October 22nd, was the three-year anniversary of United's final match at RFK. Sunday, there was tributes and reminders about this game and how emotional it was. Yes, these United did lose 2-1 to the Red Bulls that day. And the, yes, the match didn't matter overall in terms of the overall standings. But you had a day, and honestly a week, of just the club, the city, and the fans just embracing the stadium one more time before United ultimately made two pit stops at Navy <laughs> Maryland Soccerplex before then finally settling down to Audi. Um, before we go more into those actual memories, uh, Mario, what were your thoughts on just reminiscing of that day and what do you remember fondly of that day in general? Okay, so... People don't know this. I was living in Massachusetts at the time, and I drove eight hours to come down to watch that game this weekend, that, that weekend in particular. And I think what I remember most fondly was I got there pretty early. I got there like around 11 o'clock for just to go and tailgate, just to tailgate with people I knew in both supporters groups just to get a feel one more time to be in Lot 8, just to be there, because you figured this would be the last time you'd ever get to tailgate at Lot 8 and just experience it all. Just pretty much experience the whole tailgating thing, the whole tailgating experience. I was there with friends and my sister, weirdly enough. And just the whole atmosphere of the game, it felt more like a party, less like a funeral, even though it was the final game of the season and it did end with a loss. And it was your final game at RFK. So just pretty much being there and have like all these memories and all these experiences that you had going to DC United games at RFK as a kid was one of those things. It just brought back memories. And that's what I remember most about being at RFK one final time. Yeah. At the time, I was an employee, but I kind of go back to what I said earlier. It was like a week of just general not sadness, but joy and acceptance of this is a part of my childhood going away. You know, for those who've gone to watch any kind of match, whether it's an international friendly, a USMT game, uh, Washington Freedom game, maybe you were lucky enough to go during the Redskins era, the Nationals era, any DC United game, you know the feeling of when you got closer to the building, you felt that seesaw air from the Anacostia just <laughs> coming to you, and you're laughing at it in negative. I'm actually thinking of it as a positive. Fall nights at RFK just made sense for me as a child, and it was just one of those good memories I had of coming to the building. And so that final game, it just... You know, that week, I say week because there was tributes to the building. They had several events there. Uh, they had a coach's clinic. Uh, the one thing that I know a lot of fans went to was the final open practice and autograph section that the team had. Um, and just legend after legend just popping out of the dugout area uh, to see open practice. And it was just weird. You had... 
Dwayne De Rosario having conversations with Thomas Rongan. You had John Harks and Freddie Adu just dapping each other and having a quick chat. And uh, it was just weird, but it was also cool. You know, we everyone, the autograph sessions weren't even like real autograph sessions in a way. It was everybody was just having a good time. It was like chatting. It was like meeting up with old friends, even though. I've never had a conversation with Troy Perkins my entire life to that day. And so it felt it felt more familial. And that, that's what it was. And I cherish that open practice autograph session because it wasn't me meeting my, my idols. It was me finally having conversations with them, but getting to know them as real people. You know, and you were one of the people that I was with that day. You know, Troy Perkins is a cop now. <laughs> who do who would have known, you know? And that was the first time we had all seen. Um, I'm blanking on his name here. He played on the midfield for us. Um, shoot, I forgot his name right now. I don't know why. Uh, Chicago John Fire, John, uh, Chris Rolf. It was our first time we had saw Chris Rolf since the injury, and it was the first time that he revealed. Yeah, I live on a farm now. Like, I don't think anybody would have imagined, well, because we didn't look at his background, but no one would have imagined this pacey midfielder who was growing basically a second career at DC United was even being thought of for USMT call-ups, just randomly now lives on a farm. And it was like that kind of deal where, you know, it just felt more familial. And then obviously the game, I was there from... Before and after, and the Legends game was great, even though there was a lot of trash soccer, but it was just great. I'll be honest, I missed the Legends game because I was under the bridge leading into RFK under, underneath, underneath East Capitol Street drinking. South well, I, I got to enjoy the Legends games. It was great to see, you know, like Wiskandarian giving a pass to Jaime Moreno, uh, Marco Echeverri wearing that XXXX4X shirt. Uh, <laughs> it made me realize that, heck, if it, if I do get bigger, which I did, they do have that at 3X. <laughs> so I was very proud that I knew that. Uh, Freddie Adu, I mean, he was the star of the game. If there was an MVP, he was the MVP. I mean, <laughs> yet again... <laughs> yeah, Freddie Adu played that game. Twenty-nine year old, twenty-eight, I think. Twenty-eight year old Freddie Adu was playing that game. Free agent at the time. Now, no longer free agent. But um, you know, it was just the only person that they couldn't get to go there was Christian Gomez. Forty-something year old Christian Gomez couldn't come because guess what? He had a club game that day, so he couldn't even. Oh yeah, that's the other funny part. Christian Gomez was still going strong in his forties. I think he just retired like about a year or two ago. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it was a fun day overall, but I knew it was time to go. And this is this is maybe Mario's going to throw me into the pit of fire in a second. But it was just I knew it was time to go when before gates opened, a part of the stairs nearly hit me in section 213. It landed right in front of me. I kept it for like the last three years, ironically enough. 
I had it in my room. I ultimately decided it's time to move on. And I just chucked it <laughs> because I just, it was, to me, it was time. Like, it was just time. It, like, I love the memories there. I love everything about it. But it was time. It was slowly eating up the insides of all of us. And it was, it was dying. We were watching someone die. But we wanted to keep it in life support when they're telling us, I want to die. And that's the terrible analogy. It's a scary analogy. But <laughs> when a rock is almost about to hit you. When the year before a falcon is watching children play soccer. <laughs> when you can't use one bathroom because the pipes are too rusted. To, that crap can't. Running around the top, the 400 level of RFK. <laughs> right. When there's fish because uh, in the 400 level because said falcon dropped it and forgot to go get it. Or when you can't get a soda there unless it's in a bottle because... No one trusts these rusty pipes anymore. It's time to go. And oh. so I have a love-hate about the end because I know the insights. I know the trouble. But yes, I will remember it fondly, but I just couldn't understand why we were celebrating the end of something terrible. <laughs> yes, it will be a part of my memories, but it was time to move on. I wish they would have built the stadium over that property that would have been DC United. I hope it doesn't go to the Washington football team without a name, but <laughs> I will miss it. But I won't, I'm not fawning over wanting to go back. So I'm not someone that I'm also of the mind of like, yeah, we need to move on. But for me, it's a little bit more different. Because for the most part, I was there as a fan. I worked there as an employee. Weirdly enough, the last season we were that DC United was playing at RFK. And so, fu funny story. Like you would see, you'd see everything crumbling down, and you would understand why we're moving into a new stadium. But for me, it's just more or less just childhood memories. And I remember that open practice. Weirdly enough. Uh, I think the highlight of my day was taking a picture with John Harks. And on top of that, John Harks giving me a high five for saying I was going to go out with my friends and drink. And that I drove all from Massachusetts to watch this game, to come down for the festivities. He, he thought that he, was right. he, That's respect. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Gabe recognizes Gabe. But, uh... Yeah, also, I got to take a picture with Jaime Moreno and Marco Echeverri, which was also really, really awesome. Uh, but yeah, I think I think for the most part, you are kind of right. It was time to move on. Our RFK was falling apart, literally. I feel like there was parts of the stadium falling down every year. Hell, uh, remember, the final game, people were stealing seats. People were trying to literally take RFK seats. It failed spectacularly. <laughs> it failed spectacularly. Trying to take seats from the stadium to keep a remnants of it. So, yeah. Do they I like to have the rock that I still have in the trash right now? <laughs> it almost knocked me out. <laughs> that rock was about to wipe out your memory. Uh, but... It was. I, th I think for anybody that went to RFK to watch the games, it's a sense of nostalgia. I mean, I miss playing at RFK too sometimes, but I don't find myself going like, I want to play one more game at RFK. 
No, it was fall. It was falling apart. It it was in a vegetative state at this point. Uh, so yeah, it, it was time to move on. I will only say that you know we have an announcer friend. We won't give his name because I don't think it's fair. You can find the video on YouTube if you are trying to figure out what we're talking about. But there's a former DC United announcer who became a sports announcer who's now a teacher. That's the main reason I don't want to give his name out. Who said, and I do agree, the Nationals coming in kind of killed about another decade of life that that stadium had. You know, some of the rustic problems was because of overuse in the past 20 years. Some of the pipe issues, overuse and just old. It it cost about five to two, two to $5 million to run that building a year. And that's a lot <laughs> when you're only averaging 20,000 fans You at the time capped at 20,000 because of the gaps that were created by baseball. Um, but the cap, you know, got lower and lower and then they didn't want to open the upper seat, the upper deck. Yes. It's because they have minimal fans. Yes. Cause we would have put our visiting supporters up there, but also over the winter, they just started noticing that a lot of the animals would go up there. Like I said, Hawks would go fishing in the Anacostia, have their fish, the fish still alive, the fish will wiggle out, or the hawk wants to leave the fish in, an, in a spot so they could go get more fish and forget that they left that fish at RFK in section 437. Yeah, so you'd have a situation. Oh, 400, uh, section 402, my God. Yeah, so you had situations like that. Obviously, everybody knows the the legend that is Ronnie the Raccoon. Uh, Paolo Maurer spoke of the, the few, him and a couple of staffers at United found stray cats underneath the supporter section. So you're talking about a building that was slowly decaying and it got worse because when the Nationals came, the seats that were already movable, they permanently removed some of those seats. For United, it then cut the use by half. And so you couldn't pack up the supporter section like you wanted to. And so it just made it untenable for future soccer success. And also, again, older facilities versus newer facilities. I couldn't imagine a hyperbaric chamber type of thing at RFK. Like, they don't, I don't even think they still had the voltage for that. They barely had the voltage for a vending machine, let alone the voltage for something like that. <laughs> so. Also, let's not forget where the supporter section was at. There was nothing keeping that those stands afloat. It crumbles. It crumbles. Right. And so it was just, it was just safety at the end of the day for me. And so it was time to go. But, yeah, I'm going to have memories, and I'm going to love it. Um but here's this minor updates about what's going on with RFK. People do ask, like, what are they going to do with it? Uh, right now, the district plans to demolish the stadium. Uh, they've already hired a contractor who's going to oversee the project, uh, $20 million to, to knock it down. So even when it's being demolished, it's expensive to do. <laughs> $20 million. Um, there are parts of the, of the stadium that's being used, but the campus we still have the auxiliary fields that sometimes UCNI uses. They haven't used it this year due to COVID. Um, you have the auxiliary fields. You have the fields at RFK uh, playground and 
It has like seven to nine uh, soccer turfs that, that can also be used for lacrosse and American football. You have those that are being used every day by locals. You have the skate park, which they opened in the mid 2000s, which every time I go there, it's packed. Like every time I go there. And, and so that's been of a benefit. And so there have been parts being used, but I guess the ultimate question before we get to the super nostalgia one is what do you want them to do with that area? Um, you know what? Uh, just because they have the fields, they have the skate parks, the skate park and the auxiliary fields around it. I would make it more into like a recreational area. You know, just for like kids in that com- in the community surrounding RFK would have a place to go to, and you know, uh, play uh, play in the playgrounds, practice local, uh, practice whatever sport they choose, or just just for recreational reasons. I-, I would think just making like more making more of a part of a park kind of a- of a thing would probably be something I would like to see the city do with this area surrounding RFK. Or where RFK was located. So, you know, for those who haven't paid attention, there have been residents that have had town halls with their local ward uh, council members. Every time they do this, the no stadium here, please, please get bigger. And I feel for the people living there, they want easier and it's not a gentrified area let me just say that right now there are you know more let's just say more people of a certain type that would have never been there before but it's not a gentrified area but everyone agrees they want more access to the anacostia which is now cleaner than what it was before people want to be able to walk in the actual trail that's there people love the fields that are there for kids like mario had mentioned and so i think i agree with some of that i would love to have more fields and more and i actually am in favor of what they did did uh, i want to say arsenal did with hillsborough uh i think it's hillsborough highbury highbury is their old stadium where they knocked it down they kept the pitch and the pitch became the middle area where people had snacks and they played soccer on it, but it was the middle of a development of housing that was low end and affordable to English residents. And I think that that's something that I would like here. I think that people who don't live in DC, Maryland, or especially in DC and Maryland and the lower counties, we have a problem with housing. And I think we do need some more affordable housing for district residents. And it would be nice if, you know, because it's not just a legendary field for soccer. I think it would be nice for people who are fans of the Redskins, fans of the Nationals, or even the Senators to be able to go on that pitch, maybe, you know, see outside their window and be like, yeah, that was where Legends played. And, you know, be around close to Anacostia. Um, It's a pipe dream. I know that the proposals are crazy about bringing a certain Washington football team back here to the city, but I, I'm kind of wishing that for the residents' sake, not my sake as a DC9 fan, not as a sake of 
I'm more praying for them because that's what they want. They want more affordable housing. They would like more shops they can go to because at the end of the day, they live there. And I think they're ha- they're happier now because there's no events. And I think they'll be even more happier when they have the things they want. They want more access to recreational facilities. They want more access to things they could do with on a daily basis. And they want more affordable housing. I feel like sometimes this is one of those things where you give the people what they want. They don't want a football team there. It's the perfect area for one. It's a perfect area for a stadium. All the proposals are for a stadium. I know DC is trying to take control of the land from the federal government who owns it. But I, I'm the I'm the believer of you give the people what they want. Right. I mean, I've seen the proposals before. I think like the renditions of what they want to do with the stadium. I'll be honest with you. Ain't nobody going to be right rock climbing on top of a, of a of a football stadium. I'll be honest with you right there. Are you not interested in a moat around your stadium? <laughs> Qatar's having one. What am I going to are, are we going to joust our way in there or something? Uh, but l- listen, that sounds fine and all, you know, having a moat and going hear ye, hear ye. But no, I, I think that's. Uh, I think you need to listen to the residents on this one, and I think one of the other examples we have is uh, the Patriots when they built uh, Gillette Stadium, uh, where the old side, old site of where Old Foxborough was, Old Foxborough Stadium. That's now a shopping center, so it's it's used for uh, more more of like shopping purposes or, or what have you. So yeah, I think. When it comes down to it, I think you need to listen to the residents and give them what they want. And I, I'm with them. Like for the sake of them, I wouldn't want a team moving back in there either and building another stadium. And if you have trails and parks that are surrounding the Anacostia and you want to use them as a resident, then yeah, I'm all for it. Uh, if you don't build housing there, a shopping center would be cool. That's another thing that you want to do. You know how have residents around going going to having access to stores that you wouldn't necessarily have access to living in the district like that you would have more access to going into part into part into the suburbs of maryland or something like that i don't know if i'm explaining myself well about when saying that but say say what you want you want top golf at rfk <laughs> Sir, I, I was say I was thinking more of a target or target, if you will. At- <laughs> okay. okay. You want an ice guy? I got it. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think at the end of the day, I think you gotta listen to the residents. If they don't want a stadium there for a football team that's that that wants to be back there just for the sake of we want to move back to the district, then yeah, I would say listen to what they want and. I would go with the original idea and make more recreational use out of it. Well, before we, we let's not be so dire. Uh, let's do the topic Mario wants to do. What is your favorite memory of RFK? Go ahead. <laughs> What's the uh, one game or memory you're going to have at RFK? Okay, so there's so many of them because, uh, uh, again, I spent most of my formative years at RFK, and I sound like a dork saying I spent the majority of my young adult life there. 
But the one game I have a complete fond memory of it, just because it was a roller coaster of a game, and no, it's not the 2004 Eastern Conference Final. It is the 2010 FIFA World Cup qualifier game between the United States and Costa Rica. Final game. It's the game where Costa Rica goes up 2-0 in the rain at RFK. Oguchi Onyewu goes down with an injury. And a 10-man U.S. men's national team ties the game with a goal from Jonathan Bornstein. Giving the U.S. the draw and Honduras a ticket to go to the World Cup. And from this day on, Jonathan Bornstein's considered a god in Honduras. Before we started... You know, I specifically put not as employee because it wouldn't be fair. I have so many memories from after 2010, you know. Um, but, and then, like you said, you, your formative years are built there. You know, as someone, if you're a fan, you've gone to RFK at least 10 times. You've won tickets on Radio America at least once. You have barbecued with the supporter section at Lot 8 at least once. You were a member of the DC United Youth Fan Club at least for two seasons and never got anything unless you were a member to go. Um, you paid for the membership to be part of the Screaming Eagles and or the Bar Brava. You poor souls. Uh, <laughs> uh, no disrespect, guys. I'm just not paying. Um, I, I, so I am one of those said poor souls. I, do, I regret nothing. <laughs> okay. Um, but, yeah. I mean, I could be solely selfish and pick the time that I got to play on the RFK pitch and score two goals plus a penalty kick. Uh, but I'm going to honestly pick a recent memory. And that was, uh, I want to say, 27. It was uh, 2016, I believe. Uh, DC and I was playing New York City FC uh, in oh, the wettest day. Ever. <laughs> it was just crazy rain nonstop. The reason I bring it up because it was DC United's first and last only Tinder night. And, <laughs> and the reason I remember it is not because of that. It's just because for anybody who's been at RFK just knows that something about it is similar to what Manchester United fans feel about past the 90th minute. They call it a Fergie time. Something about DC United playing in the rain and RFK down a goal or tied in the 80th minute just feels different. It just feels like, it's oh, magic. shoot, it's, it's, it's game time. And no matter how bad the team was, you just had to watch from the 80th minute forward what could happen. You know, you mentioned the, the Costa Rica game, you know. Pins and needles the entire time. That game, DC United scored a goal to get themselves into the playoffs, and the celebrations after United was officially in the playoffs was just like crazy fun. It was raining, it was nasty, it was a fun game. Frank Lampard, Pierlo, the names were there, packed house. Nobody left with a boyfriend or girlfriend that night, I think. And, <laughs> but everybody saw a fun game that went down to the wire in the rain. Good soccer, good fun. It's a recent memory. It's not one that everybody's going to have. But just being the atmosphere for when United clinches a playoff berth or 
when they win a trophy like they did in 97 or when they won the U.S. Open Cup here or just whatever. It was just to be there for something historic or just being there for a seminal moment. That one was big because the stars were there, the rain, the atmosphere. Tender night. <laughs> it was just, it was just, it was just, it, it like all signs were there, and they obviously they didn't win the trophy that year, but something about that night just felt right. It just felt like I'm not gonna have a lot of these left, and it just felt good to just see a bar of and screaming eagles together, banning the the drums and the flags, and with El Norte and. And District Ultras and going crazy with the rain, seeing soccer slippage. No one appreciates the drainage that RFK has more than DC United fans because it could be a tsunami and the thing would still be playable in two hours. And so that was the beauty of RFK, I think, in one game. And I just remember it just being there. I feel like anybody who looked at the YouTube highlights would be like, that game wasn't important. You had to be there. It was a fun night to be at RFK. Agree. I think one of the other ones, and this wasn't played under the rain in particular, but it just comes to mind, would be the 2012 game. I think it was the season, oh, it was the final home game of the season. They were playing Columbus. If they drew or beat Columbus, they were in the playoffs for the first time in five years. I just remember when Lewis Neal scored the game-winning goal in the 90th minute. And we were already drawing. We were already in the playoffs at that point. But I think the goal was just more of an exclamation point of it made it official. I just remember everybody inside the stadium just going absolutely insane. I swear to God that people held on to their beers for like a good 45 minutes just for that moment in particular because you just see everybody in the supporter section throw their beers in the air and just start screaming and and celebrating like they just won a championship but you just clinched the playoff spot but it was important because you clinched a playoff spot for the first time in five years and you were going to get to play playoff soccer at rfk for the first time in five years i think that's one of the other moments that stand out in late in the later years at rfk well you can reminisce about the old lady till we have no time left in our batteries and our laptops, but I feel like this is just the perfect exclamation point to just call it a day. So, Mario, tell the people where they can find you and get to know you better. Hey, if you want to follow me on whatever I'm doing or, you know, just writing poems about odes to RFK Stadium, you can follow me on Twitter at MarioMaya1. Or you could read my uh, all my stories from El Tiempo Latino and you can follow them on Twitter at El Tiempo Latino. You can look them up at eltiempolatino.com or if you want a physical hard copy of the newspaper, you could go to your local metro station. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Jose underscore M underscore Mania for more content. And you can follow the Sports Post for any daily updates on soccer and other topics local to the DMV. Special shout out as always to Impotech and Kevin McLeod for the intro music. Remember, rate, subscribe on Anchor, Spotify, and all your audio platforms. Once again, thank you for tuning in to the Battle Embrace FC podcast for myself and Mario. We appreciate you guys for tuning in, and we will talk to you soon. Adios.